0: Well, good morning. How are we doing today? That is great. Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning. As Clint said and Will said, it's um, always nice coming home. So we spent two years here, 2013 to 2015 um, at Perimeter. Uh, So this is one of our homes. So we uh, miss it. And um, we're excited when Brian said that everyone was going to be out of town this week and I would be able to preach. So. Um, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. And for us, uh, this was the last place we were before we moved um, overseas. Um, uh, Perimeter is, uh, we know y'all have been behind us, praying for us, financially supporting our ministry. Uh, So it's just great to be with you this morning and then this morning after we uh, talk a little bit about Beirut and learn a little there and uh, learn about what God's doing at City Bible Church, uh, we're going to be open the Word of God together and be in Ephesians, which is a book that I love and which is the first book we went through as a church in Beirut. Um, so I'm excited to do that with you this morning as well. Um, and many people may not know me, uh, so I'm going to do a brief introduction uh, before we dive in. Um, My name's Jordan, Uh, was born and raised here in Valdosta. Um, Went to college in Atlanta at Georgia Tech, met my wife, Sarah. Uh, We have been married 14 years, um, and we have five kids um, who all have white hair and do stick out in the Middle East, if you were wondering. Everyone knows where we're at, at all times. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, And you may have noticed we have prayer cards in the back, um, but this is a new prayer card, because every summer we come home, we somehow come home with a new kid. Um, So Jack is the little one there. He's the newest addition. He is two months old. um, And I pray this is our last prayer card. Um, Hopefully we can just update as the kids get bigger, not as we add to the Cruise clan. I hope the clan is shut now. So, but whatever God wills. Um, So uh, Sarah and I uh, met in Atlanta after college. We started working in Atlanta. We were both working in finance and banking. I thought we had our lives figured out. um, And we went, ended up going on a short-term missions trip to Kenya in 2009. Um, And it was there God really just kind of totally redirected our lives. We, we After that trip, we knew um, we wanted to serve overseas. We knew God was calling us in some capacity um, to uh, preach the gospel where it wasn't heard. So we came back from Kenya, um, ended up moving to Dallas for four years. Uh, that's where I became really good friends with Joby and Will, um, and then It was during our time in Dallas, uh, my first year in seminary, I ended up going on a short-term missions trip to Uganda, uh, where I was able to teach and train um, pastors who were kind of living out um, in rural parts of the country who had really little education. And some of y'all may have heard me talk about that before. So we uh, loved that trip, came back, finished seminary, um, moved here for about two years, kind of as we got things together, fundraised for about a year. Um, and then we moved to Uganda in 2015. Um, and so we loved our time in Uganda. Um, we, I love teaching. That's more of my background, teaching. Um, loved our time there. And it was during that time, um, as I was being able to teach a lot of these young pastors, um, we had guys from about eight or nine countries, uh, many who had no education. This was the first formal education they'd received they were coming to learn Bible, learn theology for a year or two years, and then go back out uh, to their countries and start and plant churches. And it was over that time that God kind of started stirring in our hearts um, kind of what he had planned for us next. So um, although I liked teaching, um, after about a year, year and a half, I started getting jealous of what these guys were getting to do. They were coming to learn, and then they were going out to start churches, to plant churches. And a lot of them were areas that didn't have churches. A lot of them were areas that didn't have the gospel. So um, I was kind of like, what, what are we gonna do? Um, we lived in Uganda. Uganda was about 80% Christian. So um, kind of like Bible Belt-ish in Africa. So very similar to the South here. Um, so we started praying and just through a few connections, God um, opened up a door for me to be connected to a church in Redeemer. Redeemer Church in Dubai. Um, And this church was doing a lot of church planting in the Middle East. Um, That was an area that had kind of been on our hearts. Um, So through that connection, God um, put me in touch with um, a guy named Marwan Abu Zelaf. So me and him started talking. He had been training in Dubai for about two years and was about to move to Beirut to start a church. Um, They had been praying that God would send them um, kind of someone to partner with him as he started this church in Beirut. And so after about four or five months and kind of talking through everything, we knew this is kind of what God had for us. It was kind of what we had been praying for, what they had been praying for. Um, so we uh, committed and um, prepared for that move. And then we moved to Beirut last August. Um, so we loved our time in Uganda, but very excited about what God was doing in the Middle East um, in a lot of places where there were no church, there was no gospel presence. Um, so now a little bit about Beirut and Lebanon. Um, Beirut is one of the oldest, and we'll scroll through a few pictures. Beirut is one of the oldest cities in the world. Um, it's, they say five to 6,000 years old. So it's one of the five oldest cities that has been continuously lived in. Um, in the world. If you ask someone from Lebanon who, they, um, who their heritage is or what, what people they descend from, they'd say the Phoenicians. So they really trace their line all the way back to the beginning of time. Um, and with Beirut being one of the oldest cities, it's, it's been destroyed and rebuilt, they say, seven times. There's just been countless wars and battles over this time, so as you walk the streets, um, you definitely get this feel of um, just the history and the heritage that the city has. There's bullet holes in most walls. There's buildings that are still have mortar shells and, and have been blown out by bombs that haven't been repaired. So you just walk th- the streets and you just feel um, what this city has been through. And Lebanon as a country is very little. It's only 100 miles long and 50 miles wide. Um, So it's from here to Perry. um, And it's surrounded by the Mediterranean on this side um, and then Syria on the north and east and Israel on the south. So as you can imagine, if you've kept up with the news, um, there's a lot of stuff happening in that region, seems like always. So we are kind of right in the middle of a lot of that, Israel and Syria's issues. Um, And then Lebanon being kind of... connected with Iran, Um, there's just always geopolitical stuff happening in the country, um, which makes it interesting. Um, The people there, there's about six million Lebanese in the country, and because of the Syrian war, about two million Syrian refugees have moved into the country. And again, this is a very little country. Um, So there's about eight million people, one in four is a refugee um, from Syria. Um, so it's a lot of people in a very small space. They say it's actually more compressed and condensed than Manhattan, um, just how many people live in such a small space. Um, so, and you feel that as you try to drive the very narrow streets and walk the roads. Um, and one of the other interesting things about the country is it's trilingual. So most everyone there speaks Arabic, French, and English. Um, so it was a French colony for a number of years, so they all speak three languages. Um, and we, att- we are attempting to learn Arabic, very difficult language. I struggle enough with English, so to learn another language has been a challenge, but it's been fun. My wife, Sarah, has enjoyed language learning a little more than me. Um, but our church is actually going to be, our church is an English-speaking church plant. So before Marwan moved to the country, he talked with a lot of the pastors or the pastors that were in the country, and everyone kind of confirmed the need for an English-speaking church um, because, again, Beirut, it, it, it more wants to be connected with the West than with the Middle East. So um, everyone there wants to speak English. Anyone under about 50 speaks fluent, perfect English. So you could visit the city, um, and besides it feeling really different, you could speak English and be fine your whole trip. And there was no, that we were aware of, really strong gospel preaching church um, in the whole country um, that uh, was in English. So there was a few small congregations kind of on the outskirts of town. So that was really our vision um, and prayer to uh, plant this English-speaking church and we'll get to a little bit about how that's gone in a minute. And then another question we get is is it safe? Um, so, before Joby took the college kids on their retreat, um, they are planning a mission trip to, to visit us in March. So, I'm, I'm going to be careful with what I say with this is it safe question. But for our year there, we have felt safe. Um, now, you know, you're around a lot of stuff that's happening when. The U.S. bombed Syria. Those bombs kind of flew over Lebanon and hit about 50 miles to the east of us. So it's not far, um, but there's a mountain range kind of dividing us. And um, the in the city, you know, there's a strong military presence trying to kind of keep this peaceful feeling. So. We have we have felt safe our year there, um, and you just know that stuff's going on. There's one of the biggest terrorist organizations operates in parts of the city and parts of the country freely and openly because the government isn't strong enough to do anything to get them out. So there is stuff going around, um, but uh, we have we've enjoyed our time, and you know we have felt safe our first year there. So um, we're thankful for that. Um, And then really the reason why we're there, the reason we think Beirut is so strategic um, is because Lebanon's the only country in the Middle East that offers freedom of religion. So although it's predominantly Muslim, again, they're wanting to be seen by the West as a country to be able to do trade with, a country that you can trust. Um, So there's this their shared power structure at the top of the country between um, the Maronite Catholics, the Sunni and the Shia Muslims, where there's a leader from each who kind of run the country. Um, And so they offer freedom of religion. So we are able to start a church. We're able to uh, evangelize. We're able to preach. We're able to be open about what we're doing, which isn't the case in pretty much every other Middle Eastern country. Um, and because of Beirut, where it's located, it's, it's a big port city that kind of feeds into the rest of the Middle East. So our hope and prayer for this first church plan is to get it established, to then plan other churches in the country, um, and then to be able to start training pastors to send out into Syria and Iran and some of these other countries around us. Um, so we, we we feel that if we can make Beirut like this Christian hub, that we can then do a lot of work um, in and around the Middle East uh, from there. And so a little bit about our church, uh, City Bible Church. Um, It began as a Bible study. Uh, That's Marwan playing the guitar. Um, It began as a Bible study. We went to Ephesians in his apartment, um, and that was about a year. Um, You know, we started adding. And again, the biggest church in the whole country is about 100, 120 people. So um, church isn't a big thing there. So this is a great size group. We got too big for his apartment. So about eight months in, we moved to our apartment um, and continued with the um, Tuesday night Bible studies. And so then we got to a point where we wanted to kind of make the jump to doing something on Sunday mornings. So it was in March we had our first kind of preview service. We were going to have one kind of official service at the beginning of the month and then kind of have three kind of Bible studies the rest of the month. And we would invite to this preview service. Um, So we were able to do that March, April, May. um, And God continued to bring people we were meeting to us, um, to church. Um, And during that time, one of our founding members, uh, is a contractor, um, a Lebanese guy who actually got his master's in the U S became a Christian because of a university, um, ministry. Um, and so he's now back in Beirut. He helped us find a building and, um, he's helped us renovate it at his cost, which is, um, really exciting, um, because we were starting to fill up our apartment. And so this is the building we found. Um, it doesn't look like much. Um, it was, a rectangular room with a room in the back, no electrical, no plumbing, no front to the building, just really rough. Um, and I can't, I'm not a artistic creator, so I, I was like, this looks scary. Um, but he said, just trust me, let's, let's, let's get this place and go with it. So we signed a lease in February, we began renovating um, and we had our first service here in July. Um, So, in June, we went through a three-week new member class. We had 17 people um, become members, um, and we decided it was time to kind of make the jump into this space. So, this was about halfway through the remodel. It was very white and very felt much like a CIA interrogation room. Um, But we did want to get out of our apartment. My wife was thankful for that. So we began meeting um, here in July. and then just this week, uh, we finished about 95% of it, so I missed all the good stuff. Um, but now we, all this was happening this week, and then I think this next picture was actually the service they had seven hours ago. I was like, send me a picture of y'all's service this morning. So this was actually this morning, so we've come a long way. Um, And just with the way religion is in Beirut, in the country and in that region, um, this past year we've been making relationships, um, but because we were meeting in a home, um, Muslims are obviously used to um, mosques and then the Maronite Catholic contingent in the country, they're used to these beautiful cathedrals. So we didn't really do a lot of inviting into our home we're really kind of planning that once our space was ready, so we had a building to invite them to for a number of reasons. So um, we're going to have our official launch um, October 7th, so in about a month, um, so y'all can be praying for that. All these dozens and dozens of people we've met this past year, and really all our other people, um, we're going to have a real big push in October, so we're really excited about that and what God is going to be doing um, I think we have a few more. We, um, when we became, when we covenanted in June, we had two baptisms. Um, we had a Moroccan lady who was former Muslim, except um, Christ early in her life and was baptized. And then we had a missionary from South Carolina uh, who was baptized. So we had about as opposite of um, backstories as you can imagine. We were able to do these, do these two baptisms um, in the Mediterranean, which is um, really cool. So... We're thankful for God, how God's used us up to this point. Um, it's been going. A lot of people say how it it's going. It's going a lot faster than we thought. Uh, we thought we'd be a few years away from moving out of an apartment, and we thought we'd have 15 to 20 people for a couple years. So to see how God's blessed it and used it, we are very thankful. Um, so y'all, please be praying for us. Uh, we we pray for you guys as. Um, one of our home churches and supporting churches, but y'all, y'all's prayers and uh, the support that the church gives us has helped do this. So we're we're very thankful um, and are grateful. So yeah, that is Beirut um, and you can continue to pray for our family. That'd be wonderful. Um, And so this morning we are going to be in Ephesians. And so what I love about this passage and the Bible as a whole is whether We're reading this passage today or 2,000 years ago, whether it's being read in Valdosta or in Beirut, it speaks to us. Um, Today's passage is going to be a great challenge. It's a prayer that Paul prays over this church. It's a prayer that I would would challenge us with to pray over our own lives, pray over our own church um, as we go forward. So let's pray and then we will open up the word together. Uh, We thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it is, Lord. Uh, We pray that um, Paul's words in Ephesians can speak to us this morning and challenge us. We thank you for um, all you're going to do. You know, I pray, amen. So we'll be in Ephesians 1, 15 to 19. Ephesians 1, 15. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? So here, again, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and we see him offering up this prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving and then a prayer of petition. So he's asking something, um, praying something for these Ephesian Christians. And so as we begin, we need to be thinking as we work through these few verses this morning, what is Paul saying? What is... He's saying to this church, what is he trying to get across? And just as kind of a summary statement, I think Paul is basically wanting these Christians to understand that to live the Christian life, they need a heart that knows God, a heart that truly knows God, and not an intellectual knowledge, not a conversational knowledge or a cultural knowledge, but a heart that intimately and personally knows who God is, and then a heart that wants to know God more and more. And that's going to be the challenge for us today as a church. A heart that seeks to grow in who Christ is and who God is in his nature and character. And so Paul is going to be praying for these Christians that their hearts grow in the knowledge of him. And that they long to know him more and more. And so that's kind of the overarching prayer. And then Paul is going to list three specific um, prayers under that. Uh, request, and these three things are what we'll work through, and these are the things that I pray over our lives this morning. So, after Paul makes this foundational petition, this main request that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, we see these next few words in verse 18. He says, That you may know. So, Paul wants them to know something, Paul wants them to know and understand something. And so why? Why is he writing this? Why is he wanting them to understand these things? And it's because as we're going to see, these things are basically the foundation of the gospel. This is what we have to grow in our knowledge of as we seek to know God more, to walk in his truth and love. And so the first thing that he's going to point out is he wants them to know the hope to which God's called them. So he wants to see this hope. Uh, Second, he's going to point out that he wants them to know the riches of his his glorious inheritance. And then third, he wants them to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power. So this is the prayer that Paul lifts up for these Ephesians and the prayer he lifts up for us as well. So we're going to go back. We're going to reread verses 15 to 18, get a little context, and then work through it. So let me read these few verses for us again. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so now talking about a little bit of context, the first thing we need to kind of think about and understand here is that Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to a church. This was a letter written to the church in Ephesus. And so it would have been a circular letter. So it would have probably been passed around a few different churches in that city. Um, but we, we, we need to know that he's writing to Christians. Um, they've accepted Christ. They've embraced the gospel um, and they have been saved. And so in verse 15, he tells us that he's heard of their faith in God and their love. For their fellow Christians. And so now to understand a little bit of that statement, we need to think about where Paul's writing from and who he's writing to. So Paul's writing this letter, this letter to the Ephesians from Rome, and he's in a prison. So Paul's imprisoned in Rome, and he's about four years away from being martyred or killed for his faith. Um, And distance-wise, Rome is a long way from Ephesus. Rome's in Italy, Ephesus is in Turkey, Um, And if you Google map it, which I did, um, it is 1,300 miles. So a lot of miles to us, but to someone 2,000 years ago, this would have been the world. This would have been a huge distance. It would have been at least two ship rides and weeks of travel, most likely. So Paul is writing to this church, and this is a church he helped start. About seven years, seven or eight years prior, he helped plant this church in Ephesus, and he ended up spending three years of his life ministering in Ephesus. So these are people he discipled. These are people he may have even led to Christ. These are people he knew that he's now writing to, and he's writing and saying that he's heard of their great faith and love So the first thing we need to recognize is a great testimony of the church in Ephesus. What a great thing for someone to say is, I've heard 1,300 miles away of your great faith and love as Christians. So they were being faithful witnesses and living fruitful lives for the gospel. And so then Paul continues. He tells them that he's been praying over them. And so he's basically saying, this is what I pray for you. This is what I'm praying over your lives and over your church. And it's a big prayer. As we said, he he prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. And so when Paul talks about their hearts, he's not talking about the, the organ that circulates blood like we would think of um, from biology. And then he's not even talking about heart, how we would understand it today. We, we think of the heart and we think of a place where our emotions come from. Um, But that's not how Paul would have understood it or written. Instead, Paul's writing about the heart as the ancients would have understood it. It was the center of knowledge. It was the center of understanding. It was the center of thinking and wisdom. So they would have viewed the heart as the very seat of the mind and will. It would have been the core of someone's life, the heart. And so that's what Paul's writing to. And then he mentions... Eyes. So he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And so, this, this term eyes, when we think about eyes in a uh, religious context, normally we think of eyes being opened, right? We think that God and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the salvation and the gospel. And that is true. That's written throughout the New Testament. That's how we come to salvation. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see and accept who God is, but that's not what Paul said. That's not what he's writing about here. He is writing that the eyes would be enlightened. And so we need to see that distinction again. He's wanting more light to be shown on what he's praying for, on these, these things he's going to mention. So basically, he wants them to understand this deeper. He wants to know them to know this, this more. And if we look back a few books to Matthew six twenty two, Jesus is going to talk about this Um, as well. Matthew 6, 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. And so what is Jesus saying here? And I think it's similar to what Paul's trying to convey, or it's what, what Paul's thinking about as he writes. So Jesus is saying that the eyes are the vehicle or the instrument through which the desires of our heart are manifested. So we look at something with our eyes and we desire it. That desire is expressed in what we see. The desire comes from our heart, but it's expressed and lived out through our eyes. And then f- one verse earlier in Matthew six twenty-one, Jesus had just said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so kind of marrying these concepts, marrying these ideas that Jesus is writing about, Jesus is basically saying what your eyes desire and what you treasure says a lot about your heart. What your eyes desire and what you treasure says a lot about your heart. So here Paul's wanting the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened, meaning he wants them to know God more. He wants them to grow in their faith, grow in their maturity of who God is. And that's his prayer for them. He prays that the, their eyes, their heart will be enlightened. So he wants their deepest desires to be set on God. He wants their passion and their longing to grow for God. And so I think for us today, just stopping at that big question, that big, big, big statement Paul's praying for, we have to ask ourselves personally. We have to ask our church um, We have to ask: Is this the prayer of our heart? Are we wanting to grow in our knowledge of God? Do you desire to understand who God is? To grow in learning more about His character and His nature—is that a desire of your heart? And Paul doesn't stop there, though. So now he's going to continue his prayer. That's his his big big request. And now he's going to get into three specific things three specific ways that he thinks to grow in your knowledge of God, you need to understand these three things more fully. To grow, you need to understand these three things more fully. And the first request is in the middle part of verse 18. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, notice Paul did not say the hope of your calling here in verse 18. He says the hope to which he has called you. And so if you, if, if you understood the hope of your calling, it would be this idea of this individualistic sense of um, religion or Christianity, which unfortunately that's what is put out in our country, in our culture, that religion is personal, that's individualistic. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying this calling is from God, He says the hope of his calling. And to understand this idea of calling, we can look back in Ephesians 1 verse 4. He kind of talks about this in Ephesians 1 4. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So this is idea that God has called us. God has called us to himself as Christians. And there's a beauty to that that I don't think we will fully grasp on this side of eternity, but that's what Paul's saying. You need to find your hope in that, that it's God's calling of you. He's chosen you to be his child, to set his love upon you. He's called us out of darkness. He's called us out of our sins and trespasses into his salvation. He's saved us. He's adopted us. He's redeemed us. All these themes that Paul writes about in Ephesians. And so Paul wants us to see those things as being the basis for our hope, because he knows that hope is what will prevail in the end. And I think we can look at our culture, we can look at our own lives, and we know that everyone is hoping for something. Everyone lives their life hoping for something. You have to find something to kind of put in your heart. You have to find something to place your identity in. And the world offers us a lot. And so with me living in Beirut, I'm around millions and millions of people, three or four million people who have hope. They definitely have hope, but I would say their hope's misplaced. Their hope's misplaced. And so they pray five times a day, they fast, they're very devout, they're very religious. But despite all these outward efforts, despite all this religion, their hope's misplaced. And so I think it's easy for us to sit here and look at other religions and kind of point to the errors and fallacies of you know, what they believe and how they live. But I think as Christians, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to see where we've misplaced our hope. Like we may know hope, we may know Christ, but it's very easy to kind of move him to the side and put other things on the altar of our hearts. So that's something I think we need to think through. Think through what in your life maybe stealing your, your joy, your affections that really belong to Christ. When asked about what an idol is, and I think, you know, I think of idol and I think of Sunday school growing up and I think of golden um, calves and, you know, big statues, but that's not what an idol is. That can be what an idol is. So a quote I love kind of on this idea of idolatry is from Tim Keller. He says, an idol, it's anything more important to you than God, Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, <clears throat> and so Paul knows that Paul's writing to them, knowing that it's easy for them to put their hope in other things and and again he's just he's just thanked them for their hope and love the the witness they've been living, but again, he knows it's so easy for them to stray, and so that's why Paul prays that this hope would be real. This hope would be real in their lives. And you may be familiar with um, an author, J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote The Lord of the Rings. Um, I went to Georgia Tech, so there's nerd behind this a lot. So, anyway, uh, I really like this illustration that I read kind of this idea of hope and light. So, in one of the movies, the main character's on this great journey. Um, He's in a faraway kingdom, and he's given a gift from the ruler of that kingdom. Um, And that ruler tells him this. She says, here's a light when all other lights go out. And so that's what Paul's wanting us to grasp here in Ephesians. He's saying this is the hope that will not go out. This is the hope that will prevail, that will succeed into the end. And he doesn't want them to miss that. He doesn't want them to be left empty, to be left searching on that final day. He wants their hope to be grounded in the gospel, to be grounded in who Christ is. And so for us this morning, another reflective question, do we know that hope? Do you know that hope? Is that hope what directs your life and your steps and your path? And so then Paul's going to continue. So he's prayed that they know this hope, this hope. And now he's going to pray a second request for these Ephesian Christians. In verse 18, he's going to pray that they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So Paul prays that they would know this hope. And now he's going to pray that they know these riches of his glorious inheritance. And so if you look at the wording in verse 18, it says his glorious inheritance. So what Paul's writing about is God's inheritance. And so we ask the question, what would God's inheritance be? It's easy to kind of think it's our inheritance. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance as adopted sons and daughters of God. But here Paul writes his inheritance. And so he's basically saying God's inheritance are those who've put their faith in Christ, we they're now sons and daughters of God co-heirs with Christ. And so that blows our minds. Why would we as sinful people, why would Paul be writing that we are God's inheritance? And that's basically what the gospel is. Um, I love this quote um, from a pastor. He said that God should set such a high value on a community of sinners Rescued from perdition and still bearing too many traces of their former state might well seem incredible were it not made clear that he sees them in Christ, as from the beginning he chose them in Christ. And so what he's basically saying is the gospel, that when Christ looks at us, not only did Christ's life and death on the cross forgive us of our sins, he came and lived the perfect life, he, he died the death we deserved, and because of his blood we were forgiven, But not only were we forgiven, but now we received his righteousness. When God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness. And so through that, we are God's inheritance as sons and daughters of his. So although we were born in sin, we were dead, we were hopeless because of Christ and his life. We can now be co-heirs. We can be the inheritance of God, which is mind blowing to me. And so Paul prays and wants these Ephesian Christians to realize that, wants them to know their identity in Christ. And he's going to write about it throughout the book of Ephesians and really throughout all his epistles in the New Testament, just this idea of us as Christians being found in Christ and what that means for our identity. And so Paul wants them to understand that hope that we have in Christ, and then he wants us to find strength in this idea that we're God's inheritance. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And then finally, Paul prays for a third thing for these Christians in Ephesus. In verse 19, he prays that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe So Paul's praying and wants them to understand God's power, the power that they now have within them. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're weak. We know that we're frail. We know that if we strip away all the outside, we know who we are underneath. We know the sin and depravity that is in us. But Paul doesn't want us to focus on that. Paul wants to remind us that once we're Christians, once we've received salvation, that being found in Christ, now we have the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God within us. The same power in Genesis 1-1 that breathed creation into existence. And then the same power that raised Christ from the dead. These two great acts of the Bible, that's the same power and So when we, when we feel hopeless, when we feel like we can't continue when we're down, Paul's wanting these Ephesian Christians to remember and remember the fact that this power is in them. It's at their disposal. The Holy Spirit is theirs. And that should change how they live. So he's, he's talking about this hope, this inheritance, and then this power. And these are the things Paul wants his people in Ephesus to grasp. That's the thing I pray for our people in Beirut. It's the same thing I pray for y'all here, that to grow in the knowledge of God, to grow in your walk, in your maturity of Christ in our gospel, we have to understand these things. And so as we conclude, I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so that's, Paul knows that. Paul knows that when we think of God, that's showing what's in our heart, that's showing who we are. And he wants that to be real and deep. And so he prays for these three things because Paul knows there's coming a day when Christ returns for his church. When Christ returns, there's only going to be two types of people, those who are found in Christ and those who aren't. And those destinies are extremely different. So that's, as we close, that's my prayer for us. I pray that you, you read Ephesians. It's such a rich book, but that you will think about those things this week, this hope we have in Christ, this power we have through the Holy Spirit, and then the fact that we are God's inheritance as sons and daughters of his. So let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for this letter. We thank you for Paul um, and the church in Ephesus. Lord, we thank you for the challenge um, and the prayer that he's prayed over his people, this, this church that he helped create and start through you. Um. God, we pray, Lord, that as we think through these things, I pray they they convict us. Lord, I pray this idea of hope and inheritance and power, Lord, um, challenges us to want to walk and grow in our love and understanding of who you are. And I know there's lots of different people um, here today, Lord, but God, for the Christians here, God, if we know, Lord, that we are prone to wander, we know we stray, God, and we know that we are always hoping in something So, God, I pray that if things have taken over that hope, if things have replaced you in our hearts and our lives, God, I pray we can deal with that. I pray we can, Lord, lay that before you. And then for those who don't know this hope, I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would open their hearts, help them to see your love and salvation and grace and mercy that you offer through Christ. Because we know in the end, God, we will be found in Christ, and that means we will be victorious. So thank you for this encouraging word from Paul, and I pray that uh, we can pray this for our lives and for our church as well. In your name we pray, amen.